Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's Religion Podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Where is the second week of Lent, a season which for Catholics begins with the smearing of ashes on their forehead to remind them of their mortality? Carol Monaghan, an SNP MP for Glasgow Northwest, turned up to a Commons committee on Ash Wednesday, wearing the ashes on her forehead, and the reaction from her colleagues and the BBC was one of incomprehension and, indeed, secular intolerance. Stephen Daisley wrote about it, saying these days everybody expects the secular inquisition. In fact, all that had happened is that one of her colleagues had said, this is going to be broadcast. And then the BBC put something out saying, was it appropriate for her to be seen wearing the ashes in public? Not a question they'd have asked of a Muslim, I suspect. This little controversy raises questions about the Christian faith of MPs, secularism, and the awkwardness that accompanies the whole subject. And I'm joined by Stephen Daisley, Scottish political journalist and our new coffeehouse blogger, and The Spectator's political editor, James Forsyth. Stephen, judging by the reaction to Carol Monaghan's ashes, you'd actually think she turned up wearing a Halloween costume or something, wouldn't you? Yes, I mean, it was it was an extraordinary reaction, first from her colleagues. According to, to Carol Monaghan, one of her colleagues on the, the Science and Technology Committee had, had queried the ashes, and, and once it was explained to them, had said, but, but don't you know this is being broadcast? as if this was some kind of, you know, freakish symbol that was on her head and, you know, she was going to bring great shame upon the committee and, you know, undermine democracy by, by having this and by having these ashes on her head. That in itself, you know, as I, as I said in, in the piece that I wrote for Coffeehouse, if, if it had stopped there, if it had ended there, you could say, well, that was a particularly discourteous way to treat a colleague for an MP to behave, but these things happen, let's move on. What really, I think, made this an issue was the BBC's treatment which was remarkable. Absolutely, absolutely. The, the BBC, you know, ran, ran this story with the sort of breathless headline, you know, with the, the scare quotes saying that she's, you know, not embarrassed. Carol Monaghan MP is not embarrassed to be to be wearing her her ashes, as if as if implying that this was some kind of source of embarrassment. And then the uh, the, the BBC's uh, politics Facebook account uh, actually tweeted out uh, a link with a picture of Carol Monaghan wearing her ashes and asked if it was appropriate, asked its its readers to comment on whether it was appropriate for an MP to have gone to work. Uh, I must must say the word appropriate really hit me because it's one of the sort of favourite words in the PC witch hunters lexicon, isn't it? Is that appropriate? It's it's, it's not just that. It's, It's almost like they took the test acts and put them in reverse. You know, that, you know, it's sort of demanding that, you know, this MP who, you know, happens to have faith and, and wants to, I mean, she's not wanting to force it upon anyone, which is sort of the eternal accusation that comes to any person of faith in public life, you know, stop shoving it down our throats. She wasn't doing that. She just went to work, you know, like she does every other day. She happens to be a Roman Catholic, so she had gone to Mass before she had received the dispensation of ashes. And this was treated as if it was some, you know, kind of you know, inappropriate thing to do, but also that she was somehow trying to, to force her religion onto onto the public. Indeed. Well, not only has Carol Monaghan not got a reputation for forcing her 
religion on Parliament or the public. In fact, I have to be honest, I'd never heard of her before. But actually, it's, it's very rare for politicians of any party to force their religious beliefs, certainly their Christian religious beliefs, on either their colleagues or the public, isn't it, James? I, I find it hard to think of politicians who do that. I think one of the things that has happened is that as a society, as we've become kind of progressively more secular, people are discomforted or puzzled by overt displays of faith. Now, I think there is a thing when these are overt displays of non-Christian faith, people think, oh, maybe I shouldn't criticise that. But when it's Christian faith, because people feel more comfortable to say, oh, that's a bit odd. Why has she done that? You know, I don't think, you know, why is she wearing ashes on her head on Ash Wednesday? And I think part of the problem is simply kind of cultural ignorance. But I suspect that the person running the BBC Facebook account, for example, just didn't understand that this would be considered a completely routine act by by millions of Christians in this country. I think this is this this is the issue is is in our current society we think kind of somebody who goes to church every Sunday is very religious in inverted commas. It was in times past we'd have just considered that commonplace. Well, I think it's worth also pointing out that the BBC is unlikely to have asked a question like that if, for example, the MP had been a Muslim wearing some. No, no, no. I, 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 I don't that dispute that. I think there is a that people feel that they should culturally respect other religions, but because people broadly perceive Christianity to be their own religion or the religion of the country, it, it doesn't kind of qualify for that minority protection in inverted commas. I think I think James actually makes a very good point about cultural gap because I imagine the person who uh, was uh, running the the BBC social media account that day will be you know a 22 year old you know journalism graduate who is you know demographically unlikely to um, have you know, been brought up in a religion or to be a regular attender at any kind of place of worship and I know that from my own you know experience I'm you know 31. And I know from the newsrooms I've worked in, you know, particularly a lot of it during the same-sex marriage debates, where, you know, sort of well-meaning colleagues would come up to me and say, you're gay, but you're also a Catholic, so what's all this problem you lot have with, with gay marriage? You know, or, you know, it was this sort of, can, can you sort of, can you be a decoder? And I think, I think in part, you have to sort of take, take account of that. Um, I would also say, I mean, Damien said earlier about um, Carol Monaghan, you know, not forcing her, her religion on people. But point out that before she became a member of parliament, Carol Monaghan was the head head of science at a Glasgow non-denominational comprehensive. So she is sort of being presented in a sense as some kind of religious, you know, superstitious obscurantist. And in fact, she is a scientist and, and taught in a um, a non-denominational rather than a Catholic school in Glasgow. We've talked about secularisation as if it's something that MPs who are Christians are bullied by, as it were. But I've always felt that the essence of secularisation is that Christians in this country are increasingly secular in the way they behave. And it's not as if there are Christian MPs whose faith is very obviously manifest in the way they they talk about politics. I cannot think of any just at the moment. With the, well, I can think of Steve Baker, for example, who's well, even Edward Lee. But no, I agree. There, there are Edward not there Lee, are not a sizable number. Um, even those even those who rigorously practice their religion don't bring it into the public sphere. But I think one of the things I would say is like, this, this cultural ignorance point is kind of key because you saw this about during the Tony Blair was kind of a classic example when he was asked if he fought that ultimately he would be judged by God for his actions. And he said, well, 
yes, which is a fairly basic statement of, of Christian faith. And that turned into newspaper headlines the next day, Blair, only God can judge me for my actions. And I think that was, again, because the people who saw this interview and read it thought this was a quite remarkable statement rather than an actually a kind of relatively bland statement of Christian doctrine. And I think this is, this is where this, this confusion is coming from, which is that people think statements are much more extreme than they are because they don't understand that they're actually in the mainstream of... of fair enough, faith. fair enough. But I think one of the reasons is that there was always such a reaction on the very rare occasions when Tony Blair talked about God is that on the whole, he was extraordinarily reluctant to talk about any aspect of his God. religious beliefs. We don't do God. But we don't do God, on the whole, tends to be the attitude even of those MPs who, as I say, practice their faith. For example, how much do we know about Theresa May's Christianity? It may or it may not be an important part of her political philosophy, but she doesn't talk about it. She goes to church, but then she keeps quiet. I, I think Theresa May is quite an interesting case on, on, the, on the religion and public life point. Which yes, is, I agree. I, I think her religion is very comprehensible to people because it to the extent that she talks about it it comes out of a box she's she's a vicar's daughter who is pictured going to church every sunday gives things up for lent people can kind of put that into a cultural box that there is still a sense of understanding of and i think the fact that she is the daughter of a vicar means that people kind of regard it as a kind of family thing a bit like i suppose you know if your father's a great Arsenal supporter, you might be an Arsenal supporter, if you see what I mean. I think this is... But I think that she has a kind of comprehensible form of faith to people. And that's why she doesn't get the question that some other people who are no more religious than her in public life do get. Stephen, I just wanted to ask you about politicians in Scotland. It interests me that Carol Monaghan is a Catholic because there was a time when the SNP was the anti-Catholic party in Scotland, but in recent years we've seen the SNP and the Catholic hierarchy cozying up to each other. And I wondered whether politicians in Scotland, which is arguably the last place where there is such a thing as a religious vote, the Catholic vote in Scotland, are any more open about talking about their religion or fighting with each other than they are south of the border. I have to say, um, to buck the trend, general trend of Scottish exceptionalism, not a great deal of difference, I have to say. It is true that the Scottish nationalists have courted Catholic voters. They've done that really since the days of Alex Salmond's uh, sort of lobbying of Cardinal Winning. And indeed, if I could just point out, the Scottish Catholic hierarchy is extraordinarily sycophantic towards the SNP. Well, there are, there are certainly um, more connections than there would have been just sort of 10 or 20 years ago when if you can talk about a monolithic Catholic vote, which I think is actually is more complicated than that, but predominantly Catholics would always vote Labour, especially Catholics in Glasgow and the west of Scotland voted Labour. And we've seen that flip really in the past five years and now they, they sort of predominantly vote SNP. In terms of, of politicians talking about their faith, I mean, Ruth Davidson has spoken a few times about being Christian. She's Church of Scotland uh, Christian. She talks about it usually in terms of, sort of the gay marriage debate and sort of made a, a sort of what she argued was a, a Christian case for same-sex marriage. There are, you know, there are a few other sort of Labour MPs who are um, Catholics and have uh, spoken about about their faith. What is actually sort of striking though is actually how how few do, even as you say in a in a a country where there is a kind of a large block of voters of one faith who have moved recently moved from one party to another, you might expect there to be more uh, politicians speaking about their own their own belief systems. 
and that doesn't that doesn't happen it doesn't happen a great deal and is that because is that because on this if i could ask james this as well is, is that because they're embarrassed about the mockery they might attract or is it because deep down they don't want to be painted as more religious than they actually are i would say this as soon as you start talking about religion as a, as a politician you are putting yourself in a dangerous position because religion takes you in our current society religion takes you very quickly on to personal morality particularly sexual morality at which point every newspaper in the land has a public interest justification for writing about your about about your love life if it, if it appears to deviate from the the tenets of your faith and I think that is one of the things that makes people... And know. it will label you, won't it? Yeah, it's no, as if the media will, at, will, will smear at, ashes take, on your forehead take, and say, take Catholic Stephen, MP. Take Stephen Crabb, you know, talks a lot about his Christian faith, then got caught up in a sexting scandal. You know, that sexting scandal ended up on the front page of the Times. I'm sure it would have ended up on the front page of a newspaper. But I'm not sure whether a, whether a broadsheet newspaper would have been so comfortable doing it if it hadn't been for the fact that there was this obvious, there was this obvious kind of disconnect between how Stephen Crabb talks about his faith and then his private actions on his mobile telephone. And I think that there is this, this is, I think, one of the things that makes people loathe to talk about religion. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is that once you, again, because partly because of this kind of, because we're very uncertain as a society now about what to think about faith, that if politicians start talking about faith, people then start to think that every decision they make is going to come, you know, they're going to go and look in Leviticus for some verse to decide which way to vote on this vote or that vote, you know, and, and all that. So I think there is, I think those are the two reasons why politicians are so loath to do it. The risk of, of being accused of hypocrisy and being held to a higher standard and and also this idea that every every decision you make comes out is a decision made as a Christian politician rather than as a Labour politician, a Liberal Democrat politician or a Conservative politician. Stephen, is that how you see it? Yeah, I, I would agree with a lot of those points. I think, uh, particularly on being judged sort of doctrinally, if, if you if you sort of go out and say like Stephen Crabb and you say you know, you're a believing Christian, then any kind of fault or any kind of slight or fall you have is going to be judged. But also, Buzzfeed or <laughs> we'll go through your you know your voting record and say you know 17 times this MP went against you know the, the church's teaching on you know on morality or you know or society or whatever. I think there's another aspect to this that we should note is it's not just that secular culture creates a, a hostile environment for believers. It's also that in politics, voters are, are voting for um, leaders who don't seem to have a great deal of faith. And I think the United States is a very good example of that, where we now have sort of two presidents in a row whose faith is is sort of not not been very clear. I think you know, with Barack Obama, you know, a Christian, but he, d- he didn't really talk very much about his, his religion. He didn't seem to be particularly animated by it in, in terms of um, when he gave speeches. And, you know, has now been followed by, by Donald Trump, who said on the, the campaign trail at one point that the, the Bible is a great book, even better than the art of the deal. Uh. Um, that suggests to me that not really um, sort of greatly motivated by faith, but again, you know, the evangelical Protestant vote for Donald Trump is even higher than I, th- I think than for George W. Bush. That's true. Um, 80%. And so, you know, Christian voters responded to someone who talked very, very little um, about religion, about the role of faith in public life, and yet they, they responded and, and gave them their votes. So there is a... Or an- another way of putting it might be to say Christian voters no longer required their candidate to be obviously Christian or indeed to use Christian rhetoric. Which is a sign of their own secularization, I would say. 
you know, you might be right. I mean, and I sort of went by sadly with not a great deal of comment just because of how busy the news agenda has been. But obviously, Michael Novak died last month, and he was instrumental in in sort of Catholic social thinking in the United States in terms of uniting the the sort of political conservatism and Republican. Yes, he's very very impressive man. I met him a few years ago. Yeah, and the so called Christian right, which usually comes with scare quotes, but and you know, and Novak's philosophy was very much about. A sort of freedom, you know, in American terms, freedom requiring these sort of ordered societies and um, strong communities and families. And essentially what he was describing was a philosophy of government that was rooted in Catholic, you know, doctrine. And actually you could say more broadly in, in Christian doctrine. That, you know, really was the consensus in, in American politics, certainly on the right from the 1970s until very recently. And I think what is so interesting with Donald Trump is that he is probably the first Republican presidential candidate in at least at least a generation maybe longer to have have won without making any kind of overt displays of, of religious faith or rooting his governing philosophy in faith and if we can bring the, to wind things up bring the discussion back to this country it's a very very long time since that sort of consensus operated in the united kingdom isn't it a very long time i'm trying to think in terms of you know, you said yourself you know tony blair talked about his faith occasionally i suppose you know Mrs. Thatcher was was very much seen um, as uh, you know she, her her politics was animated by her her Methodist upbringing and her, her Methodist faith, but you know even then the, the fact that that was commented on so much you know that that even then that was sort of seen as being um, slightly out of step. I I think you probably have to go back maybe sort of to sort of the kind of pre-sexual revolution to a point where there was a, a consensus um, on these things in public life. I agree. I think I think the direction of travel is very, very clear. I think one other thing which is worth thinking about is I think Brexit is actually going to create some interesting questions about faith in public life, because kind of one of the obvious possible areas of comparative advantage for the UK is going to be on scientific research, gene editing, and the like. And I think there is going to be an interesting question for politicians, particularly Catholic politicians, because a lot of where the UK is going to seek advantage, it's kind of scientific and economic advantage, frankly, is going to contradict the religious teachings of the church, of the Roman Catholic Church. And I think that is going to be quite an interesting moment to see how politicians navigate that debate. You know, there will definitely be a push to have, you know, for Britain to have more liberal laws on on medical research, on things involving DNA, embryos, genes, all that kind of stuff, than anywhere else in Europe as a way of attracting scientific research and investment into the country. And it's going to be a very interesting question to see how politicians who, who that doesn't sit easily with their own faith or conscience deal with that question. And there's another Brexit aspect as well, which is that I've heard a number of Brexit supporters suggest that, in a sense, our move away from the European Union completes the work of the Reformation. It's something that John Redwood has, I think, fatuously said, ignoring the fact that a great many pro-Brexit MPs are, in fact, Catholics. Nonetheless, for some people, it's the final act of separation from Rome, as it were. Certainly not the way I look at it. Well, didn't um, Hugo Young say in this blessed plot that, that even to him as a Catholic, it was slightly uncomfortable that it was called, that the, the founding document of the European Union was called the Treaty of Rome? <laughs> Stephen? I think that that is uh, a theory that I would call interesting. <laughs> I would call it interesting in exactly that tone of voice. That's what we're here for. Stephen Daisy, James Forsyth, thanks very much. 
And don't forget, Holy Smoke is The Spectator's new religion podcast. You can find it on iTunes or wherever you go to get your podcast, but don't miss it.